display the love of God. Why is he healing people? Because he loves them and he wants to show them he cares about them. Why is he walking on water? Because the boat's ahead of him. He's got to catch up. Uh, why, why is he doing the kinds of things he's doing? To show that he is God among men. But he's not doing it to prove it. He's just using that, uh, that basis of miracle power to give us the demonstration. He can. He can. And oftentimes we think because he can, he will in every situation. And that causes great disappointments in our life. Why doesn't God do it if he can? Why doesn't God do it if he can? That's a question that we ask a lot. My, my mother's cholesterol was in the 200s this past week. She's in her 70s, and that was a quick trip to the hospital. They say, as they said to her, you're, you're, you should be happy you're alive because this can cause a stroke or a, a, um, a heart attack. And so I can easily ask the question, why? You know, God, why didn't you just tell her to, to, to do something to prevent that? Why does it have to take the trip to the hospital? But then there's another question, why does she have to live? Other people have had their cholesterol that high, had a stroke and died. So if we play this why game, we'll be unhappy wherever it goes because we're centering our questions based on our perspective. And the way I like to look at it is, imagine if I, if I had a mosaic, and a mosaic is made out of a bunch of pieces, most of them broken together. You'll see them in restaurants like with tile and so forth. Imagine if today I gave you, uh, you know, 100 of these pieces, and I would say, isn't that a beautiful piece of artwork? You would say, I have no idea what you've just given me. It looks like a bunch of broken, uh, you know, uh, things here, like tile. But if I began to orchestrate it, I could make like Michael Jackson's face or something, you know? And you would be like, wow, that's awesome. How did you do that? Well, because I'm an artist. I can do that. And so what we're looking at is a bunch of broken pieces from earth, aren't we? But who's the artist? God. God's the artist. And when we get to heaven, you're going to go, magnificent. You're going to go, this is amazing. And, and evil wasn't God's original plan. So always remember that. God is working within evil, but the original plan was for us to be naked in a garden, okay? So if you're not happy today with all the evil on the earth, blame humanity for that. We sinned and brought a curse upon ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that every uh, bad thing that happens in life, we have personally done something to deserve it. Er, wrong religion, that's Hinduism and karma, okay? And karma's cool when you're on a talk show or you're out with your friends. It's a cool little thing to say, like, man, you got bad karma coming your way. Until you really understand people born sick and diseased in the Hindu faith, faith deserve it because of a past life, then it's not such a cool thing. Aren't you happy karma's not real? But the principle of what goes around comes around is based in the Bible, and God works it all out in the end. But remember, evil was our choice. So ultimately, free will led to evil in all kinds of ways. What are different ways of evil? Human against human evil. That goes back to free will. Natural disaster, evil in the sense it does things against us. Back to the garden, we ruined it. Curse came upon our beautiful earth, okay? It was meant just to be a beautiful garden. Now we have earthquakes and all of these things. And then this person called the devil, he now is here, spiritual evil against us. Three kinds of evil, us against ourselves, the earth against us, and the devil against us. Not against us. How many now know the reason why the father, uh, Jesus taught us to pray the Our Father and said, deliver us from, oh, y'all sleeping today. Deliver us from, 
evil. What kind of evil? Evil you might want to do against me or a neighbor or an army against us. Evil that the earth might do against us because it's cursed and it's off axis and it's a lot of shaking going on down there in the tectonic plates and up in the atmosphere and the evil of Satan against us because he wants to still kill and destroy. Why do I say all of that? Because Jesus is on the mountaintop in the verses prior in 17 and he's glowing and everybody at this at this glow party, in other words, is basically like, Jesus, let's stay up here. Peter, James, and John are like, let's build some tents. Let's live on the mountain. Let's hang around glowing Jesus. And Jesus says, no, we got to go back down the mountain. And this is where the story picks up. When they came to the crowd, this is Jesus, uh, Jesus with Peter, James, and John, a man approached Jesus, knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He said he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. So everybody get the picture up here. Uh, what's going on? Jesus and the three disciples are on a mountaintop literally glowing, or God is glowing through Jesus, right? And it's like this moment, ah, and as they're coming down the mountain, this guy runs in front of Jesus, and he's like, I'm in trouble, and my son's in trouble. We can't get any help for this issue. And these guys, pointing to the rest of the disciples, the nine, the left behind, the back of the class, they're pointing to them, and they couldn't help us. And so you get this almost like this scene in your mind. If you could have the camera at both places at the same time, they're like, ah, up on the mountain. And down below, they're like, Satanas, come out in the name of Jesus. They're shaking the kid. They're probably pouring oil on him. They got the organ. Has anybody ever been to a Pentecostal service like that? Some of you are like, I thought that's what you guys just did. Kind of, sort of. But we're not that wild. But, you know, it's all going wild. And these guys are shouting and hollering, being religious, but no miracle. And so Jesus has to come and save the day. This would have been the title of my sermon, but I thought I might have scared you guys because, you know, I like to put it on Facebook every week. Uh, but still, you didn't share whatever I did put on this week, so now I guess I don't care anymore. I'm just going to put whatever I want to put up there. I was like, I'm going to be a little bit nice. So I called the sermon, How Long Shall I Put Up With You? But I should have called it, You Unbelieving and Perverse Generation, because that's what Jesus calls his disciples. Now, we have to understand adult language here. We have children in our church because we want them to grow with us. We used to do children's church until we missed them so much. We said, come on here, be with us. Some of you wish we still did that, and you need to repent for that. Enjoy having your little ninos and ninas with you, your little ones, right? So the, the adult language here is Jesus is not happy about this. The disciples continually miss the mark. And so there's two things we need to get about his rebuke, and I'll read it in its entirety here in just a moment. But there's two things we need to get. Number one, we're never better than these guys. So we don't look down our noses on these other nine and go, dude, you guys are such losers. How do you miss it every time? Jesus is glowing up there. Can't you at least cast out a demon? Do something. That's the wrong attitude. Why? Because we in that position would have been right there with them, okay? And how many are glad Jesus loves losers? 
Now, I know that sounds like a bad word. We don't like to be called losers, but I still come from a generation where everybody's not a winner, okay? I come from the 80s where we drank water out of the hoses, okay? Where when we scraped our knee, our mom just kissed it and said, you're all right. We didn't know about hand sanitizer and all these other things. You know, I see these kids with helicopter parents, and I'm like, my kids, my kids learned how to, how to do, not do that by going to the hospital a few times. That's how my friends learned, okay? But, but listen to me. I'm going to use adult language. Not everybody wins. There's losers in the Bible. People lose in the Bible. Hell is a place for losers. It's a place where you, could, where you didn't have to go. You could have gone with the winners. How many want to go with the winners to heaven? Okay, and so what he's doing here is he's patient with them. He's patient with the ones that fail the test. Maybe you like it better that way. He's, he's, he's careful to love us when we lose, when we fail, however you want to see it. When we swing and miss and strike out, he still loves us. He says we're unbelieving and perverse. Now, when he says we're perverse, does that mean now the dudes were dressed up uh, like RuPaul, you know, cross-dressing, pulling up their shirt to a midriff, wearing lipstick and walking with the sachet, sachet down Belmont and Clark? Is that what he meant by perverse? No, what he means by perversion is off the original version. He was not speaking anything towards their sexuality. So think of it like this. You should have been believing but now you're unbelieving, and I got a problem with that. You should have been on the version of faith, but you're perverting it into some religious experience where it's powerless. Religion by itself doesn't have power. Did you all know that? You see, they had a lot of shouting or praying or a lot of stuff going on, and they went to church just like you, and they had a, a belief just like you. They would have marked off on the census, I believe in that man, Jesus, just like you, but they had no power. Listen to his rebuke. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I put up with you? Can I hear an amen for all the parents that have said that? How long shall I put up with you? Nobody says that in marriage, though, right? We'll just keep moving from that. <laughs> Awkward laugh. Okay. How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus had a discussion with the devil, worked it out over a long series of negotiation, read the art of the deal by Donald Trump, and after that, it was done. Is that what it says? It says, no, Jesus rebuked the demon. Right here we see the kind of power Jesus carried and he's disappointed they didn't have it. And it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Now look at verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus, and they're kind of like doing this in private. Somebody say, in private, because they're not going to ask in front of everybody, because they have already been embarrassed enough. They've been called perverse. They've been called unbelieving. So now they're just going to kind of pull Jesus aside privately. Hey, Jesus, let's go talk over here just where no one else can hear this. And what they don't know is everything's being recorded anyway, so it's going to come out. So what they thought was in private is now what we read in front of thousands every week in church. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. This is going to be the problem that he has with them for the rest of the journey he's with them. It's always this thing called faith and them not having a lot of it. What is Matthew's beautiful storytelling giving us about faith is that everybody that's not religious is getting the star of great faith. 
a centurion Gentile man who was a part of the oppressive Roman government of all people actually gets the star great faith when he believes that Jesus can heal his servant without Jesus going to the house. Jesus says to him, dude, you got great faith. I haven't even found this among my boys. And you know that's embarrassing when your parents do that. My kids don't act like you. I'm buying you ice cream instead, right? You've, you've probably seen a parent or two do something like that. I wish my kids were more like you, you know? And that's what Jesus does. He says, these guys don't got it, but you got it. Great faith. Sarah Phoenician woman. She was from the land of Canaan, the place where God literally said they were so wicked and evil, the land had to vomit them out. True story. When he said, go in there and kill man, women, children, and beasts, those were the people they were talking about, he was talking about. And just to give you a historical note on that, they had a chance to surrender and leave. So anybody left that's getting destroyed, you can understand the Bible a little bit more if you take it seriously. There's judgment coming to those people. You don't repent. You don't change. Whoever's left is dying. Sadly, it's a true story. She's a part of those people. Jesus calls her a dog and says, dog, I can't give you these children's bread. Does she get mad and get sassy and go, who are you calling a dog? I'm a woman. Does she do that? No, she falls on her knees, the Bible says, and she goes, yeah, you're right. Our culture is a dog, and that's what he meant because the Jews were sheep. Other nations all outside of Jerusalem and Israel were dogs, including mine, Italy and Poland and all of that. She says, you're right. I'm a dog. But even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. Ooh, what does Jesus say? Great faith. Great faith. Are you all listening to me? So if you think you're here today and you're different than these disciples because you go to church, you're so awesome, be careful because you could be catching the same rebuke of little faith and homeless one-eyed Willie who we just took off the street today who smells like urine, he could have great faith. Because great faith is not determined upon your religious background. It's determined in the moment, do you trust God? So the first thing is, do not disconnect from this story. You can be just like them. The second thing is, don't connect the end of the story, which is, they're not like this anymore. The entire gospel narrative shows us how often they trip and fall. Jesus picks them back up and they continue on. Peter ends up tripping and falling so bad, he face plants so hard, he denies Christ three times. The last time, cursing out a little girl going, I don't know the blanking man you're blanking talking about. How many know that's a face plant? But Jesus loves losers. Jesus loves those who get Fs on the test. Can I hear an Amen. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Who is Peter by the end of the story? A broken man who has missed it almost at every time possible. Yet at the resurrection, what kind of man does he become? the leader of the church, a great apostle. And so what does that tell us is that you and I are not supposed to look back at these stories and think we're better than them. And at the same time, we're not supposed to walk, uh, walk through their stories going, well, I'm no greater than them either. I'll just stay where Peter's at. You know, who, it's not my fault if I deny Jesus every now and then in front of my coworkers when I laugh at a dirty joke. Peter denied him. No, you don't stay there. The idea is we learn from their stories with humility with true self-awareness, but then we get the point that they got because how many know we understand the end of the story? And so don't be like Peter 
in Matthew 17, learn from Peter in this passage. Be like Peter in Acts chapter 2, where he's, does, he's not a man of un pequito faith, little faith anymore. He's a person of great faith. He's preaching the gospel. People are coming to know Jesus, and eventually he has so much boldness, instead of denying Jesus, he dies for Jesus. They want to crucify him, and he says, I'm not even able to die the same way my Savior died. Crucify me upside down, and that's how Peter died. Isn't that amazing? So Peter starts out in this story, coming down with Jesus to see the rest of the disciples not being able to do it. They then ask him in private, why can't we drive this demon out? Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a what? As small as a what? A mustard seed, and that's very small. It almost is like a kernel of black pepper. Think of a little black pepper a pepper there. That is about the size of a mustard seed. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Read this with me. Nothing. One, two, three. Nothing will be impossible for you. And how many believe at this moment we should cue Tinkerbell and have her come down from the Magic Kingdom castle and then we sing Wish Upon a Star? Let's be honest. Isn't that how the culture wants to make what we just read there? Like, like they may say there's something good you can get out of this, but there's something good you can get out of Frozen. You can get a life story out of Pinocchio. That is all you're getting out of this because this idea next that faith is what moves mountains, and when you have faith, nothing's impossible for you, that's Magic Kingdom stuff. We're grown-ups. You can have faith, I'll do work. You can have Bible, I'll have science. You, you can have a prayer life, I'll, I'll have my grinding life. See, that's what they think out in the world, that what you're doing here is literally going to Legoland and watching me talk about the next thing we're going to do in the Lego world. Is that really how it is? It's not. And I want to bust this down so much that if you ever get this thrown back at you, you can help the world see the truth about faith. And then all of us can have great faith. Are you ready for this journey? So we're going to come back to this story in just a moment, but let's go to some other passages to learn about having great faith. Because how many are tired of Jesus saying to us, how long do I have to put up with you? I don't want to hear that anymore. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to teach us all how to have faith because I want to have great faith. I want to learn from their mistakes, and I want to have an ever-increasing faith, and I want to do Christianity right, and I want to be successful at it. Can I hear an amen? How many want to be successful at this? Okay, now let's look at the definition of faith here. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says, now faith is blind, and you never know what's going on. Is that what it says? No, a lot of people talk about blind faith. We're going we're gonna to debunk that in just a moment. Now, faith is confidence in what we what? Hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, understand this. There is a difference between you not seeing something and, it being blind, and you being blind. When people uh, make the statement, faith is blind, I have blind faith. You guys are just taking on blind faith. They have no idea what they're talking about. Let me give you an example right now. How many of you have eyes and you can see? How many have eyes and you can see? How many of you can see particle physics? Particles right now in particle physics. Can you see particles? Can you see the Higgs boson particle? But are you blind? No. The difference is you can't see something and you can see something. That's the difference. I can see things and then there are things I cannot see. 
I can see things and there are things I cannot see. Neither one of those equal being blind. Neither one of those equal being blind. Let me give you an example again. How many of you can see yourself in the mirror? You can see yourself in the mirror. How many of you are up today paying attention to pastor's examples that he thinks are really cool? How many of you can see yourself in the mirror? How many of you can see yourself two years ago in the mirror? No, you can't. No, you have a time machine mirror? Where's your time machine mirror? I look at myself and I dial it back two years. There I am. No gray hair, right? No wrinkles. No, you can't do it. But how many know you existed back then? You existed back then, but you can't see yourself back then. So there are things you can see and there are things you can't see. For example, things you can't see are like particles. Things you can't see are the past. Things you can't see is the future, so on and so forth. At any time, are you blind in this? No, because you're seeing a whole bunch of other stuff. When we are walking by faith and we are not walking by sight, we are not walking like this, we are walking like this. Do you see the difference? I am seeing the promises of God and I am trusting him when I don't see the answer to the promise or to the answer of prayer. Give you an example. Right now, I am praying for all of my children to be awesome adults for God. I don't see that yet, but I see this, the promise that if I raise a child in the ways of the Lord, when they are old, they shall not depart. So I am seeing the promise in the word, and I am waiting to see the answer to the promise come to fruition. Keeping this in front of you while you're waiting for that is what faith is. It is never blind, and it is never illogical. Having faith in Jesus is not the equivalent of being a married bachelor and buying a squared circle. Listen to how this continues on. This is what the ancients were commended for. So this is why Jesus is upset with his disciples. They're not even doing the elementary things the boys used to do way back then. Now they've got glowing Jesus, walking on water Jesus with them, and they don't have as much faith as Moses did. Moses didn't see glow-in-the-dark Jesus. Moses didn't see Jesus walk on water, but he had enough faith in God's word to see a whole sea part. Do you get that? They saw great miracles with less sight into the things of God. They were looking at it very much like we would look at a window, looking through it, though it's cloudy. And now with Christ, it's getting more clear. And so he's upset with them that they're not even doing what the ancients did, what old school did. But now watch in verse 3 how we debunk this idea that faith is silly, but science is real. And you're going to grind and prayer is something, you know, more just like make-believe. Watch this. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, so let's, let's, let's take type A, I don't need God person. Okay, so you're going to talk to them tomorrow at your job. You're going to say, man, I'm believing God and asking God to bless this business. They're going to say, forget that. I'm just going to work harder. This is what I want you to say back to them. Why are you going to work harder? I want you to blow them up with the why question. If you haven't seen how fast whys can blow you up, you haven't hung around children very long. Why, 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 why? Forget it. Just do it. The reason why, why questions blow you up 
is because they go down to foundations very quickly. Let me give you an example. One person spray painted on a tunnel, all rebellious. Question everything, man. And then somebody wrote underneath what? Why? You see how quickly whys blow you up? I'm going to question everything. Why? Here's the thing. Ask them why. Well, because I want the job to do good. Why? Because I want to make money. Why? Because I want to take care of my family. Why? Because I don't want them to die. Why? You see, why don't you want to die? Let's just bring it right down to that. Why? What difference does it make in your world if you die? We don't care if ants die. And in your worldview, we came from the goo through the zoo to you. So you're just an ant on a speck of dust we call the earth that's on another speck of dust we call a galaxy out in this vast universe. Why does it matter? You see, you have to have faith, Mr. Big Bucks Bob, to do everything you're doing too. You have faith that it matters what we do on this job today. You have faith that it matters what you do with your children. You have faith that you're actually here in the universe and not in the matrix. Have you ever thought about how much faith you have in that? You have faith that I'm actually here talking to you and not body snatched by aliens last night and we're all robots and you're in their virtual game, play, go. You have faith in every single thing that you take as self-evidently true and yet you have no evidence for any of that. Sounds like you have a lot of faith. Sounds like you've got a lot of faith. See, the difference between you and I is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I have just amount of faith to believe that God created this. Why does it matter? God made the world. Why does it matter? Because I was made in the image of God to have a job and to have a mind. Why should I take care of my family? Because taking care of my family is, is why God made us, is to be in family and be in community. Now, they may say back to us, well, I can insert uh, Pinocchio or I can insert Zeus every place you insert God. Okay, let's see your God rise, uh, die, be buried, rise again, Go. You see, if you're now just playing goofy games with us, you're not taking it serious. My God showed he deserves the title of God by sending his son to give us the revelation of himself. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is noted by all historians to be a real person. And then he goes so far as to say, kill me and I will rise again. He did it. Disciples watched him ascend to heaven. That's our faith. Our faith is not like Muslims that say, we believe a man went away privately to hear from an angel Gabriel. We do not believe in a man named Buddha who went under a tree and said he told us he reached nirvana. The disciples said, we believe in Jesus because we saw him die, we saw him as he rose, and we saw him ascend to heaven. It's not believing in what we hope to be true, it's believing in what we know to be true. Do you know the difference? So we can clap for Jesus, y'all. Let's give Jesus a better hand clap. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's hot up here. I'm doing my best. Are you all getting anything out of this? See, we understand as Christians that the basis of all things is already faith. Your existence, you're taking for granted by faith. You just haven't acknowledged it yet. The actual universe in itself and it's all of its existence and all the particles is from God. And let me just pause here because everybody, every time I say this, somebody's like, ooh, ooh, pastor, I got another answer to how we got here. Okay, how did you get here? The Big Bang, man, haven't you heard of it? What do I always say back to them? Who banged it? What banged? 
Oh, we believe now that nothing can create something. Well, that's great. See, you're the one that belongs in Disney World flying with, with Tinkerbell from the castle. Has anyone ever been, been to Disney World and seen Tinkerbell come? It's a great crescendo at the end there of every night and the fireworks go off. You see, the atheist, the unbeliever, the, the secularist, the, the naturalist, they belong in Disney World because they are worse than a magician. A magician can pull a rabbit out of a hat, but you need a magician in a hat. They believe the universe came from nothing exploding. How does nothing explode? Are you listening to me? Where do you get that kind of nothing from? Can I get it to explode in my bank account and make a billion dollars? And if all kinds of things like universes can come from nothing, why not a unicorn from nothing right now? We all know that what we see came from what we don't see. Why is that? Because everything you see is in matter, space, and time. Can matter, space, and time be its own creator? Can you be your own mother? No, they've tried to make movies where they play it out, and it's nonsense. You cannot be your own mother. Matter, space, and time cannot be its own creator. You want evidence for God, look in the mirror. Pick up a, pick up a, a rock. Look for everything you see. Creation is the evidence of a creator. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's, it's as simple as causation. Let me just give one more example. Let's say I pick up a bow and arrow right now. I pick up the bow. And I pick up the arrow, and I'm going to launch that thing out, and I let it go. All science is doing is studying the arrow in motion, the universe and all that is here. Our thing is, where did the bow come from? Where did the arrow come from? And where did the first cause come from? Are you listening? What we're saying is science is great. I believe in science because I believe in God. God made natural laws. God made logical, metaphysical laws. God made spiritual laws. All of this is how we live. And God expects us to believe it to function in the world. Those who don't believe they're actually in the real world, living by the natural laws, living by logical laws, are in a padded room today, uh, you know, talking to themselves. And sadly, we need to help them. But the ones here that are all interacting in God's world based on natural law and, and, and uh, logical law and spiritual law are either doing it with recognition, a knee bowed to Jesus, the lawgiver, or are doing it in rebellion, going, I'm going to turn my nose up at you and pretend you don't exist while I use everything you gave me in existence, including my own mind. And so I love to point to people. They're like, give me proof of God. There you go, your attitude. There's proof of God, number one. The very fact that you're not sifting your butt, being trained how to sit and bark for treats, that you're arguing with me right now shows you have a mind and a soul, and you didn't get that from a rock. You got that from a God who is a mind, who gave you that mind to dwell within a body. We call it a soul, and that's why you're going to be accountable for what you do in this body. Somebody say faith. Now, now that we've helped humble them a little bit, what are we going to do now? Tell them, well, I want to have a great day on the job too, Bob. So by faith, what I'm going to do is just pray the entire time that I'm here. No, what we're going to do is do exactly what the ancients did, starting in verse 4. By faith, Abel sat on his hindquarters and just talked about God all day and prayed. No, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering. By faith, Enoch was taken out of this rule. Keep going, verse 6, please. Or let's go to verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things, yet not seen in holy fear, built an ark. Somebody say, you built an ark. Do you see how your faith goes with your works? If you believe that the promises of God are for you, are for you what are you going to do? You're going to do something about it. 
You're going to work now. So let's go back to the promise that I'm holding on for my kids. I'm not blind. I can see God's word. I can see God's universe. But I have faith in a promise that I don't yet see. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take that promise, God's word, about raising up children, having a godly home. Me and my house will serve the Lord. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to obey God's commands, work, and be prosperous with my children, and then see the result at the time when it's right, at their adulthood. Now, does everything we put faith in towards God's word always work out in our own timing, in our own way? No, there are times you will be disappointed in faith. And once again, we go back to that mosaic and we say, God, you know, explain when I get there. Once again, somebody can get a little bit sassy and go, well, it says we're supposed to move mountains and nothing's impossible. So if, it, you know, if you're not hitting a home run every time with faith and if it's not working every time, then I'm not doing it. Okay, so let me get this right. If things don't go your way, you're going to stop playing God's game of life. Yeah, I'm just going to do it my way. Okay, now you know why there's a hell. Hell is for people exactly like you who don't want to do it God's way. Because you don't get out of this either uh, without heaven or hell. Once again, a lot of people say to me, oh, it's unfair that I was created. Now I'm put in God's game of chess, heaven and hell. Okay, granted, it's unfair you don't have a choice to exist. But you do exist. How many believe you exist? How many know you're not just the figment of somebody's imagination right now? How many know you're not a brain in a vat right now in some spaceship that's making you think about how funny it is that you could be a brain in a vat in a spaceship? How many know you're not a brain in a vat? Right, so you're existing. So now you can throw your pity patty party all you want, but it doesn't change it. And then people say, well, in my life to get out of it, my friends, ending your body's existence doesn't end your eternal existence. You better be careful about how you do things in this body. So what's the point? We're found here, now all existing, in a world we know didn't create itself. We know the world has fallen because we all desire some kind of a perfection, but we never get it. You know, this idea of nobody's perfect, it's actually a terrible way to live because we never really believe that. We expect people to be perfect. When somebody steps on your shoe getting onto the bus and doesn't say they're sorry, do you just write it off and go, nobody's perfect? No, you're like, excuse me, you stepped on my shoe and you didn't apologize. Now, how many know if they say back to you, no, you're not cool with that. You're like, I know that, but you better say you're sorry and at least pretend like you're perfect because we expect perfection, don't we? We expect perfection. Get married for more than a day and realize how much we expect perfection in our spouses. How dare you put the toilet paper that way? Don't you know it goes the other way? So serious. How, how dare you do that? My wife and I, we share a bathroom that has the two sinks. The, the, it's, a, it's an amazing bathroom, but it's never enough space. And, 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 and in the morning, sometimes I open this cabinet, and if you don't shut it, the door will hit the cabinet and make this real loud sound. My wife and I almost went to World War III today because I was in there, and she comes in, kapunk, kapunk, kapunk. And, and it's my fault because I didn't shut the little cabinet there. How many know it's my fault? It's always my fault. I didn't shut the cabinet, but the way she busted in there, she's like, she didn't care. She didn't care. It was the morning. It's my time alone. And I, I just have this moment to myself. And, and I'm like, woman, this bathroom is not yours anymore. 
I forbid you to be in this bathroom. You are now consigned to the children's bathroom. And my wife's like, yeah, right. She's like, this is my bathroom. She made my bathroom look like a Greek woman's palace with all of her Greek colors and gold. I, we, we, we have gold, fake faux gold, whatever you put the toothbrush into. It's, it's just weird. I don't have any manly things in my bathroom. A pink rug, you know, like those things you step on, pink. And this is real world. This is real. And I expect my wife to know better. See, I expected her when she came into that bathroom, she was supposed to know. I forgot to shut that. She was supposed to come in gently. And see, this, this idea where we're always wanting perfection goes back to the fall. We, we want perfection in weather. How many of you, just when you wake up, you're, you see the wrong weather, you're just disgusted. It's like it just ruins your whole day. Like, how dare you? This is my day. I'm going to the beach. I'm going on the boat. And it's overcast? Oh, my goodness. And you just want to go to the dial. You just want to find the dial somewhere of the earth. And just be like, come on, get back to normal. Clear up the sky. Why? Because we expect to live in a garden. We expect things to go our way. We, we have this way about our thinking that it's supposed to be different. And C.S. Lewis called this the perfection we were once in, but the perfection we lost. We expect our relationships to be caring and nurturing and loving. We expect the earth to cooperate. We expect everything to go our ways, and yet everything goes complete opposite. The weather doesn't go our way. We become our worst enemies. The ones we love the most have the most, uh, we have the most tension with them at times, and they hurt us the most, and it seems like it's upside down world, and that's because we've fallen and we can't get up, and Jesus came to lift us back up and to change us, but guess what? We don't see it yet. We don't see it with these eyes. I don't see all the perfection yet. So it takes faith to believe it. But after I say I believe it, I don't just sit around and do nothing about it. I get out there and I pray for the child who has the demon. And we see the child set free. We go and build the ark so our family doesn't get destroyed. We bring God our greatest offering. And if we don't do that, going back to the notes, please, we are unbelieving and perverse. Verse 17. Unbelieving, meaning we don't believe that the whole show is being run by a God who created it. And we're perverse because we're changing it and now making excuses for the imperfection. Well, I was born this way. Well, let's all give each other permission to do what we were born to do then, right? If you get to have a pride parade for what you were born to do, then I get to have one for punching people. Are you guys listening to me? Punch people in the face pride parade. You're like, that's disgusting. That's not true. No, I used to like punching people in the face. No one ever taught me how to punch people in the face. The first person I punched in the face, true story, laughing will stop at this point, was a girl named Sonia from kindergarten. Punched her in the face, gave her a bloody nose. My mom will tell you she spanked me all the way home and broke the paddle on my five-year-old butt. Did that stop me from punching people? No. So do I get to keep punching people? And then people will say, well... You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt people. And then, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt. And then we get into this world of what hurts people. And, and then now it gets, it gets defined by our level of pain. Fifty shades of gray, eh, didn't, didn't look like it hurt her, you know. And, and this disgusting nature comes out of us where whatever pain is for you could be pleasure for somebody else. There's people who put hooks in their body and hang from ceilings. The idea isn't your pain or my pain determines what is good or evil. 
God's word determines what's good or evil. And so what we do here now is we don't live out by what we see even in our own bodies. When I'm lusting after another woman that's not my wife, I don't go, well, that's natural, so I'm going to go with that today. No, I make a choice not to do that. Now, technically, would that hurt anybody having an affair? Maybe a little emotional hurt, but if I'm living in the world of desperate housewives with Eva Longoria, she'll get over it. See, it's not cool when the pastor talks like that, is it? Or when the grooming priest rapes the child and says, well, they wanted it. You see, this idea leads to total moral destruction. And it doesn't matter if you take a whole entire chunk of strychnine and say, I'm eating this for breakfast, or you take pieces of it. It's not right for you. And moral relativism is never good. So we either stand on God's word that says it's his way, not my way. Lord, forgive me when I don't do it right. Or we just say anything goes. Because if we go back to this world that they're living in, that Bob's living in, that thinks you're being silly for praying and living by God's rules, well, then tell me why your pain matters anyway. Last time I checked, the antelope wasn't having a sit-down discussion with the lion on the plains of Africa about whether or not the lion was going to hurt it when it ate it alive. Have you ever seen those shows? How many have ever seen an animal getting eaten alive? How many know it's weird? The animal's still like, like moving with half of its torso. Not to be gross, but let's just be honest, the animal's still eating it. And then it says to its children, come, this is good. It's fresh. It's like sushi, but a zebra eat it. How many know that happens in the animal kingdom? If there is no God, why don't we do that in the man kingdom, the humanity kingdom? See, the idea is we can draw lines, but they're really made of chalk. They can just be erased and redrawn by somebody else. God is teaching us that belief is a virtue, that having an original version is a virtue. Don't change it. Don't change it. Original version of sexuality is what? One man, one woman, marriage. Don't change the version. What's the original version of society and culture? Treating each other as the way you want to be treated. What is the original version of politics? Self-governance for the best of the people, right? Are you listening? What is the best version for all that you and I do on our jobs? Succeeding, not at the cost of bringing others down. So we want to succeed, but we don't want to bring them down. If I sell a better cell phone than you, that's awesome. We'll buy your company. You can work for my company. But I'm not going to do better cell phones by trying to sabotage your cell phones, cheating and breaking the rules. You guys get what I'm saying? That's commerce. That's how God created us to get along. We fell, and now we're unbelieving and perverse. And Jesus is literally looking at Chicago today going, how long do I have to be here with you? Because he came the first time to give us this shot. The second time, it's all judgment. So he's like, guys, how, how much longer you guys got to get this? Colors of rags, it's not what you kill each other over. Hello? Uh, this inside the womb is actually a life. Have you done the face app yet? Uh, let's do a face app on a 20-week-year-old fetus. Face app at, you know, 50 more weeks. It's a baby. Hello, how many know about the face app? You know, it makes you look older. Let's speed up the age here. What does that become, a giraffe? That becomes a person. If we found just a particle of that on Mars, everybody would lose their mind and call it life. What do you think it is in there? Are you getting me? And God is saying, how long do I got to put up with you guys? You guys don't get it. You, you keep changing the laws. You think that, that, that makes me change. God says, I don't change when you change. You can vote in Oprah Winfrey as president. It's not going to change anything. Are you guys listening? 
It doesn't matter how we look at it. It's how God looks at it. A quick little side note is, does every sickness a child has equal demons? Yes. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) How many have wanted to cast some demons out of children before? Satanas, you listen to me. You will leave this little boy alone. (laughs) I'm having my moment. I'm having my moment. I have six. I get a moment every now and then. My children are little angels. Aren't you guys? Little church angels back there. Church angels. Just take a road trip with them one day. Half kid. No, not every child has a demon. And and let's be serious. Not every autistic child, child that has seizures, has evil spirits. The church has done this wrong. Oftentimes, we look at symptoms uh, in the natural, and then we go to the Bible and we compare it, spiritual, natural. Oh, it must be the same. Uh, This child threw himself in a fire. My child has autism. That must be a demon. Let's not do that. How do we know if someone has a demon? The Bible says the spirit... Inside a person must manifest when we call out the name of Jesus. So in my times of casting out demons, it's never been like Sherlock Holmes, where's the demon? Demons are not really that good at hiding once you start talking about Jesus. And casting out demons is nothing like the exorcist. There's not like this long process and you're like putting the cross on their head. I have a video of us casting out demons in India. You can ask uh, one of our leaders, ask Tony for it. He'll give it to you. Tony, would you raise your hand? There's nothing on the outside that's spectacular. It's just somebody screaming a lot and Jesus setting them free and them ending with a a thankfulness. This child was literally demon-possessed and these guys didn't have the answer because they didn't have faith. As we continue back to where we've already been, Jesus says if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And so let me just kind of end, end this thing here and we can move on. The idea isn't that when miracles happen, God is changing the code. God is just showing us built into the code, he has the power. So let's take, for example, we were all video game coders. Does everybody know what a video game is? How many know coders make video games? If you can get that down, you can get the example. Nancy, my wife, you got it? They make video games, we play them. Mario Brothers for my wife, right? How many know on Mario Brothers, where there's a brick, generally if you hit it, something happens. Like you can either break it or something pops out. The video game coder made it that way. They could have made it when you hit the brick, you die. Why is it in Mario Brothers, when you get the fire, you die, but you hit a brick, you live? How many know in our world, I hit my head on that brick, I die, just as if I hit, uh, I touch fire, right? But the video game coder said, hitting brick here is cool, fire not cool. Everybody get it? And how many know there's these little pipes that run along through the game? And some of them, if you squat down, you squat down, you could take a trip into an underground world. Other ones don't do anything. Does the coder have the right to determine all of that? Absolutely. That's all God is doing. God makes code, and he says natural law is this. Gravity is going to work like this. Uh, the laws of motion are going to work like this. The, the, the speed of light is going to be like this. Um, the weak nuclear force and so forth and so on and a bunch of things I don't understand, but I memorize to say in these moments right here. The weak and strong nuclear force. Look that up sometime. It's really cool. Those are laws But how many know God in the code can say, now I'll do this? It doesn't change that law from being the general law. It just says, in the code of humanity, I can step in and do X, Y, and Z. And so what is a mountain? God's furniture. God can move mountains like my wife moves furniture in my house. Are you listening? 
How many rearranged furniture in your house? How many rearranged picture frames? What is that to God? How many know if I put you in a virtual world right now, Sim City or whatever, you can start putting up mountains wherever you want. You just put up a mountain here, put up a mountain there. How many know when you take off the goggles, you're in this world, you're now in God's virtual world? Where do you think this world came from? This came from God's power, God's doing, God's wisdom. God can move mountains however he wants. Though that is not supposed to be taken literally in this context, we can also understand it literally. Mountains move wherever God tells them. Amen? So what does it mean to us? A mountain is the biggest unmovable thing you can think of. God says, I can move that when you have faith the size of a mustard seed. If you can do that, God, then you can heal this cancer. God, you can change my family. God, you can do this. And I want to be honest with you. I would rather you pray and strike out or miss every now and then than you never get the chance to see miracles in your life. The problem with the disciples wasn't that they were just oompa loompas. It was that they didn't know how to match their trying with their faith. And so we need to be able to go through life doing things by faith. Let me give you a quick example as we're uh, getting ready to close. My friend's at the gym. Imagine this dude's at the gym in the locker room, and a guy has a heart attack. What does this guy do? Calls for help. Help, this guy's having a heart attack. Go get some help. And then what does he do? Goes down and starts praying for the guy. Why? Because he has faith the size of a mustard seed that God can do something there. Some of my pastor friends were in the inner city doing work there. Drive-by shooting happens. Person is shot, bleeding out. Call the police, call the police. They run over to the person and start praying. Both of those stories end with the people living and surviving. Who knows what would have happened otherwise? I was driving my car to church one day. There was a pile up in front of me. It was bad. It was everybody slamming on their brakes. I'm putting on mine. I can see through the rearview mirror a car rushing towards me. I pray to God. The car swerves outside of me, hits the other car. Not good for them on that side. And I drive and go to church. Miracle for me. Amen? Miracle for me. I'm going to keep praying. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I prayed before and the car did crash. I've been in those moments too. You might say, well, I prayed that my family member would live and they died. My question to you isn't, do you always get what you want? We've already talked about that. My question to you is, are you willing to work this until Jesus comes back seeing his plan for your life? Because on both sides here, there's no miracles and then there's miracles sometime. I mean, you can live in the world of no miracles if you want. You can pretend God doesn't exist. It's all whatever you do for yourself. That is an option. There are two options for you. Or you can live in the world of sometime miracles. How many want to live in a world of sometimes miracles? How many believe it counts for the times where it shows up? And so I'll, I'll explain it to you when we're in heaven on the streets of gold. I'll be like, well, this is why it didn't work that one time. But now I'm going to keep pushing that button because one out of 100, one out of 20, that button gives me a little treat, okay? And that monkey knows, keep pushing that button. Don't touch this one because you get electrocuted. Touch this one because it sends out a little treat. Are you with me? When I pray, when I hang out with Jesus, when I believe that things can change in this world, I see things change. I see what God can do. And what does that do for my life? That encourages me to now believe for the next thing. So have I ever seen Bethany be 25 years old, an awesome woman of God. Never seen that for Bethany because Bethany's only 10. But have I seen young adults here go from being 10 to 25 awesome women of God? Yes, if he did it for them, he can do it for me. Come on, won't he do it again? Come on, somebody. And so the idea is I'm never walking blind. I'm trusting God in his word. And if he's telling me that this is a part of the process, that I'm going to trust it.
And then he says here, this kind will only come out with prayer and fasting. Everybody who has an NIV Bible, look for verse 21 of chapter 17. Go look for it. See if you can find it in closing here. Uh, Daryl or Adam, would you guys come up, please? want to close out today. I'm going to read through this, but I want you to find verse 21. Can you guys find 21? It's not there, is it? So as a good Bible teacher, I got to explain why some verses are not there. In the King James, it is. Simply, it's said like this among scholars. When the manuscripts were being handed down and they were copying them, sometimes they wanted to add into certain gospels the parts that were in the stories of the other gospel. Because remember, we have four surround sound, right? Everybody get that? Surround sound, four. In Mark, it talks about this. So there was a scribe at some point that said, oh, dude, Mark tells the same story, but doesn't put in this last part about praying and all of that. Maybe he forgot, we'll add it in. Now, lest somebody says like, oh, the whole entire Bible's been changed, think about it like this. If you were putting together a puzzle and it was 100 pieces and you had 90 pieces, could you put it together? No. Everybody say no. No, you couldn't do it because there would be how many pieces missing? 10. If you had a 110-piece puzzle, excuse me, a 100-piece puzzle, but you had 110 pieces, could you put it together? And how many would you have left over? 10. What is the problem that we face in manuscripts? is more puzzle pieces. So that's why we put in there some manuscripts added this here from what we best guess over here. But guess what it doesn't say? And after he said nothing will be impossible for you, that's because I built the pyramids and I went to India and then I practiced magical arts and I'm really an alien. Do you all get that? How many have heard weird conspiracies about Jesus? And they say it's in some secret part of the Bible. No, 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 it doesn't say anything about that. The only part we're wondering here is, is prayer and fasting connected here or is it only in Mark? That's it. If we were just looking at the puzzle pieces, we've got 101 puzzle pieces now for a 100-piece puzzle. I've got an extra piece. Some manuscripts have it, some don't, some have it, some don't. Does it change any doctrine? Does it change the way I already think about prayer and fasting? No. Is, is, is it already in the Bible? Yeah, it's just over here. So does it belong here? So depending on how you look at manuscripts, if you take the King James, which was basically like, we got 110 pieces, all 110 going here, baby. You take it like that, that's a very compelling case. You have a good, a good argument on your hand. It's all there, it should all be there. That's why King James has it. If you're like the NIV, more of the hipster, you're a little bit more vegan with the Bible, you're like, I only want the exact GMO-free whatever version, then you're going to only take the 100 pieces. But to respect those who like a little meat every now and then at your barbecue, I don't know where I'm going with this example, you're going to put a little footnote down there that says, for all you guys who like the meat or whatever, here it is. And that's why you find it down here. Amen? Let's keep going. Jesus then predicts his death. That was just the first close. I got two more. Is that okay? I got four minutes to do it. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. How many know they missed a great opportunity to have faith there? 
Because they were supposed to say, yay, Jesus, we've been waiting for this. We know you're our Lord and Savior. You've actually already told us this a bunch of times and that you're going to rise from the dead. So there's really no reason for us to be sad. But is that the way they're going to go about it? No, they're going to fail a whole bunch of more times. Like I said, Peter's going to deny himself. One dude's going to run away naked. Glad they never mentioned his name because we never get that out of our head. Like every time we think of John, we think of naked running guy or something. But one runs away naked, so scared. True, Bible, read it. Only one stays with them who is John. So it wouldn't be John, by the way. It would be like Thaddeus or something. But they keep messing up. Thankfully, God sticks with them. Eventually, their frowns turned upside down. They see the whole picture. We can now look at this and go, we should know better. Amen. We got it. We know where the story's going. Last thing here, verse 24. How many want to talk about taxes in closing? Illinois, we love taxes, right? See, like, you guys got to remember this. I don't like to get a lot of political, but I'll get a little political. When they say it's free, it's not free. Does everybody get that? When they scare you with La Migra and they tell you it's going to be awesome, my friends, they're lying to you. Do you understand? They're just doing that to get your vote. You're, you're like, viva la raza. Listen to me. My raza has been messing it up for a long time. So if you just think to yourself, more this, more that, it's not going to fix anything. Now, do I have a lot of pro-immigration stances, all of that? Yes, yes, yes. But hear me on this. If you're buying into a political agenda that will use your vote to bring abortion to infanticide, to continually persecute those who are against same-sex marriage, though we think they should be free to do whatever they want, but don't infringe upon Chick-fil-A. Literally, when I was downtown yesterday in front of Chick-fil-A preaching, a girl took a picture flicking off you know, to her camera, getting Chick-fil-A in the background. My friends, that's the world we're living in, and they want your vote so they can do ungodliness. I say we just start a third party and get all of them out, okay? But here's my point. Don't fall for it. Free stuff is never free. That's why Illinois has more people leaving than coming, right? So Jesus, after this, and his disciples arrived in Capernaum. The collectors of two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? How many know the tax people always find you? Come on, can I hear an amen to that? They will always find you. Hey, man, does he pay the tax? Yes, he does. He replied, don't arrest us. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak because he must have overheard him. Not necessarily a miracle here. Uh, he says, what do you think, Simon? He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, of course. So if you're Caesar, you're not taking it from your children. You're taking it from everybody else. So then Jesus says to him, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. How many love that kind of fishing? Once again, is this make-believe Jesus? Is this little mermaid Jesus where all things are possible with Jesus and his world of make-believe? No, two ways that miracle could have happened. Number one, fish can eat stuff. The miracle could be that one fish that did eat gold coins, God allows Peter to catch. That would be a one kind of a step miracle. A two-step miracle is God causes the fish to have the gold and then Peter to catch it. Does it matter to you? It doesn't really matter to me. God is able. Once again, somebody goes, that's so silly. You guys believe in gold and fishes and all that. You believe you came from the goo through the zoo to you. You believe nothing exploded a long time ago in a faraway place. 
You believe you are an evolved monkey, and yet you have purpose. I talk to people all the time. Where do you, I, I say, where do you go when you die? They say, I go to the dirt. I say, you believe that? I say, they say, yeah. I say, well, then give me all your money now if you're just becoming dust. And then they go, oh, I want to spend it now. I want to do all this. But, dude, you're still just dust. Who cares? Are you guys listening? And then I ask people, what do you think is the purpose of life? Oh, there is none. Okay, can I have your wallet? They never think about what they say. This is a miracle. It's the guy owning the code going, fish, gold, catch it. Hit this thing, a gold coin comes out. Do you guys get it? In the world of, in the world of Mario Brothers, you hit this, a, a coin, is it, is it illogical? No, logic can never be broken. You can't get a square circle. You can't get a merry bachelor. But can you, can you bend reality and still be logical? Yes. And that's what we do right now in movies and TVs and CGI and video games. We're not illogical. We're just bending reality. It has its limits. And so God within his world does that. What do we get from this? Number one, tax people will find you, so pay your taxes. Uh, number two is Jesus is God's son. If he wanted to play by their rules, he could say, you know what? You don't collect taxes from your own children. I'm the child of God. Take that. Boom. I don't have to pay your taxes. But Jesus never used his privilege to oppress or to get out of things. He goes, just go fishing, Peter, and take care of it. So the third thing we learn is that provision is always in God's vision for our life. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus today. Come on. Let's all stand up. Altar workers, band, would you come? How many of you today want great faith? I want great faith. Father, thank you for this message today. We want to learn from the disciples. We want to learn from their mistakes, their failings. If everybody here would be honest, can you admit you've made mistakes with faith, trusting God? How many of you right now need to start over again with God and say, Jesus, I need a new life. I got to start over. Right now, ask him to change you. Have faith that God can change you before you see that change based on what you see in his word. Meaning, do you believe God can change people? Yes, well then believe he can change you right now. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and change me. For the rest of us who have been living with Jesus for a while, why don't you raise up your hand and say, God, give me great faith to change the world. Come on, to move mountains where nothing is impossible. A few moments right now can change all of our lives. Let's take it. Let's go. What do you want to believe God for? Start where you're living. Start where you're at. Start with your children, your marriage, your family. Great faith is not out of your reach. Our great faith is not even from ourselves, the Bible says. It's a gift. Come on. How many want to have a gift today to believe that your marriage can be changed? How many young people here want to have the gift of faith to believe that you can start your school year on the right foot and stay away from the, the evil of this world? How many want to believe with me that you can be delivered from evil, that uh, God can keep you from temptation? A few moments right now can change our lives. Change mine, change yours. A few moments right now. Jesus, change us, rearrange us, let faith arise in us. How does faith come? It comes through the word, it comes through the prayer, it comes through the consecration. We'll go through those lessons at different times, but come on, just go with what you know right now. And if you've never prayed before, just talk to God as if he is your best friend, because he is. He'll hear you. 
Because remember, the disciples had religion, but they didn't have a relationship that brought about power. God wants you to have a relationship that has power. What if I told you, you don't ever have to smoke again? What if I told you, you don't ever have to curse again? What if I told you, there's a way you don't ever have to be depressed again? You say, man, that's too good to be true. I got testimonies in this church, me being one of them, of so many of those things. Well, what if problems still happen? Well, what do you think you do if problems still happen? You apply the same faith you did to see the first answer, the first deliverance. Just because I've never smoked again doesn't mean I've never been tempted to smoke again. But the same God that delivered me from it 20 years delivers me from it when I see somebody vaping and it smells like cotton candy. God says, don't do it, son. It's not good for you. Don't do it. Come on, a few moments can change your life right now. Deliver us from evil, God. Lead us not into temptation. We walk by faith, not by sight. But our faith is not blind. Our faith is an assurance. It is a hope in your word. It's not what our earthly eyes see. It is what our hearts see.